What's up? What's up? Welcome to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. What's up? That's Jake Curtis. <laughs> I'm Ian McCurtis. <laughs> we talk about music here. We got Blue, the intern dog, with us. Buffy, the HR dog, our assistants. And today we're talking about the new Barty Strange album, Farm to Table. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Got a class on how to write jokes? Oh, don't take that. I dropped it after the lesson on setups. The professor is so old. Jake's favorite kind of bougie left-wing elitist restaurant in San Diego. Who's that? Oh, blue. That was awesome. Who is that? Oh, I think my delivery of my uh, fresh produce has arrived at the door. Uh, Blue, thank you very much for getting that. I appreciate your help. Farm to kitchen table. Um, so uh, that was not planned. They just showed up. I've just got my fresh that produce was here and make myself a nice dinner. Not while we're recording. because You've never I, had a tomato until you have a tomato in California. That's right here. Never had a tomato. A chipololla. A cacio pepe. So yeah, farm to table, Barty Strange. Barty Strange is a returning heavyweight to Jubilee Street podcast. He is a Juby, partial Juby winner. I believe he made our Jubies last year. 2020, probably. Yeah, the album came out. The first album came out in 2020. That's hard to believe, yeah. Um, what, isn't it crazy that I, I saw his first album came out in October 2020. Mm-hmm. So the whole course of him being an artist has happened after COVID. Like, I feel like I've known Barty Strange for a while, and it's... He's two albums in and didn't exist to me until after COVID, which is crazy. So I believe we are entering into, okay, so I I know that COVID is still a thing and it will continue to be a thing until we die, I think. Um, People will still get COVID. It's not going to go away, but there's vaccines, so it'll be just I saw they just canceled the big, uh, you know, My Morning Jacket was making their big post-COVID return Mm -hmm. to Waterfront Park and Jim James got COVID. Yeah, so there's it. a lot of people getting COVID, and then they canceled to reduce the spread. But in general, I would say that it feel, and I'm not like frontline person, so I'm not working in grocery stores and hospitals. But I think that it's safe to say that 2022 is kind of going to be that onset of like referencing what was in 2022, and kind of like picking up these artists that came out during that time and like who was able to like scrap through and like make it and like continue their like hot streak during the pandemic. And I think Barty Strange is one of those people. I think he's one of the more important artists that's come out in the 2020s. So um, it was exciting. And I was surprised to see he had a new release so soon, but the way music is these days, they can just kind of pump it out. And as we'll talk more about later, you can kind of tell that this is... Um, a continuation of the last record. Uh, what are your initial thoughts? Initial, I was surprised too that there was already a second album, but pleasantly surprised. And he signed to 4AD, which is a pretty huge 4AD. record label. Initial thoughts were, I, I, I guess, more of the same in, sense it's, in the sense that it's like a genre traveling. You know, you don't know what the next track's going to hold. You know, I don't want to say more of the same because he's exploring different things than on the first mm-hmm. album. But it was like, 
met my expectations. I was like, okay, this is what I this is what I want from Barty Strange. Yeah. So my experience with this record was strained. First of all, I really like the album cover. But when I put it on, I don't know if it's that I wasn't in the mood for Barty's music at the time, but I kind of just put it on in the background while we were driving around over this last weekend. It was my birthday on the 20th, so I had to sort of, you know, I wanted to prepare for the podcast while, like, going out and doing birthday things, which I was grateful to be able to do. Um, it didn't click with me at first. I didn't really like what he was doing. It felt very weirdly, like, radio familiar. It felt very, like pop radio and it felt familiar in the sense that like uh the song i think it's wretched sounds a lot like that song from his last record where it's like i know you got the deja vu i do yeah um and i kept hearing that song and i was like this sounds familiar and that was my gripe with it at first, is this feels kind of like he's treading the same water that he was. And there's some new ideas. And upon, I think, my seventh listen, because it's not a very long album, I think if he wanted to, he could probably have called it an EP, but it would definitely be a long EP. Because it feels that way in the way that the messaging of this album is. But I found that the latter half of the album and the beginning of the album are really strong, and then it kind of dips for me a little bit, but that also changed as I listened more, too. Um, my favorite songs are Hennessy, I really like Black Gold, Escape This Circus, and then Cosigns and Heavy Heart. And the last sort of initial reaction is the guitar work on this album is incredible, not to mention all the arranged like strings and horns. Theatrical would be the word I'd use to describe it. Sorry, Ian's taking a call from the mayor, so <laughs> I, I'm going to fill in some. I was just letting you take your drink for dramatic effect. Oh, I'm still drinking. <sighs> Get some ASMR for you. All right, we're all refreshed. I... Was that a lot? Sorry, I had a lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think on where I want to where I want to dive in. I, I I see your thought about the, the having a radio sound. The way the way it hit me was, you know, I feel like there's these people every couple of years that like have a huge influence on indie music or pop music or, or indie genre, like these people that other people try to sound like. And. You know, pop music, it's that fucking J Jack Antonoff guy who, like, co-writes with every female pop star. And, uh, like, post-hardcore music, it's that Will Yip dude who, like, records all the big bands. And right now in indie music, it's very much Phoebe Bridgers. Whether people are working with her or influenced by her, I feel like every indie band I hear now, I'm like, oh, this sounds like Phoebe Bridgers, kind of. And I thought that a lot with this album. And I know... Mm -hmm. they're, they're friends. I don't know if she worked on this album or not, like, co-writing, but uh, I, I definitely heard what I'm hearing in a lot of other indie music where I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like Phoebe Bridgers, and I, I kind of wish it didn't. Just, mm -hmm. I, I, she's a great songwriter, but I, I don't seem to like her as much as everyone else does, so, mm. you know. I don't even know if I know any Phoebe Bridgers songs. Dude, that, I hear her songs at the grocery store now. She is everywhere 
Yeah, she, she's they got play, a good agent. They play some of her agent. songs at Kroger. Well, yeah. I mean, do you have like a particular part of the album you want to start with or song you want to talk about? Let's start with Cosigns. That was one of the singles. Great song. I It reminds me of Kanye. Like, I love mm-hmm. it. It's got such a cool vibe. I did not like this song when I first heard it. Really? Yeah. I thought there were there's two moments like that on this record. This song's probably one of my favorites now, but um, this song and then there's another one that I think is a different thing. Uh, we were only close for like two weeks where I was like, what the fuck are they doing with the production on this? Like, I know anything really, but oh, that I, didn't really, I didn't really get what he was doing. And then the more Just I listened like to it and like the way that he kind of mixes his influences into these songs is really interesting because... You know, I heard somebody compare this to, like, the sort of, like, mumble rap, like, future kind of stuff mixed with, like, Prince and D'Angelo influences all over the record. And when I heard that and then I listened to it a little more, it clicked for me. And I really liked the uh, intro where he's got that sort of auto-tuned as fuck, like, vocal line. And also the way he kind of does the sort of clout, like braggadocio rap thing but he's talking about like his label mates and hanging out with big thief and stuff like that yeah i love all the shout outs i'm a thief when things get big the mm-hmm. big thief one's really good mm-hmm. uh I-, I love it because like obviously in in rap that's a common thing to do i think in punk it's a pretty common thing to do we just talked about no effects last week no effects mm-hmm. is also always like name dropping influences or bands they're friends with but for they some reason, for some reason, indie rock, it's like not a thing you do. Like, can you imagine Death Cab like dropping name dropping another band in a song? Like, I don't know. It's just not done in indie rock, uh, except for Father John Misty. Uh, and I, so I just think it's cool. You know, I like anyone who like breaks rules and I feel like this isn't something I'm used to hearing in this style of music. So I just love the silliness of it. Yeah, silly. That's good. But it's not so silly that it's not compelling. Like, it is the music and the songwriting is very compelling. No, well, this song, I think, is kind of like the most blatant use of a theme that I think shows up over and over again on the album, which is like using... It's the thing that reminds me of Kanye. Like, using the language of braggadocio and, like, ego... What's... What are you, what are you saying, Blue? Um, using... I agree. Using that Sorry language... About that to show that you're actual, actually like vulnerable, which is when I think Kanye was at his best, that's what he was doing. He was making these songs that sounded like he was bragging about himself, but he was really like kind of making fun of himself or saying things he didn't like about himself. Like um, Real Friends, I feel like, was kind of where he peaked on that. Yeah. Um, especially, and especially like, you know, uh, Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy when he was experimenting with auto-tune and... Uh, Vocator and stuff like that, where he was really sort of adding this extra emotive quality to what would normally just be his voice. Exactly. So in this Barney String song, he's, he's, you know, you think he's bragging about all these friends he's made since the first album came out. And then the song warps into him talking about how he's like still not happy. Like he's still, you know, nothing's ever enough, which is something we can all relate to. Like you get the thing you wanted and then you find it doesn't make you happy. Mm hmm. Which. Would definitely lead lead you to that assumption where he might be just 
I got to make more shit, you know, I got to write music, like, you know, I've got more stuff, stuff to say, like, I put this last record out and, you know, they, I just, I need to make more, you know, it's that sort of creator's dilemma mm -hmm. that can either work in your favor or work against you, depending on who you are. The other thing is, too, is that Barty isn't even, Barty's isn't even, like, comparable to, since we said Kanye, like, vocally, like, I didn't know this fact, but I guess he's a trained opera singer. Yeah, if you and this dude does more interviews than anyone in America. Like any music publication has an interview with Barty Strange. So it was very easy to like do research for this episode. And yeah, he said that when he was a a teen he would go to opera camp or he'd take like opera classes and then go to football practice right after. Like mm -hmm. he had a, a weird childhood where he existed in like this high art world and the sports world. That's a, another interesting, like, little, like, layer to his onion, so to speak, like, um, because then I started hearing his music in a completely different light, where it's almost, like, musical-esque, like, on the song, um, forgive me if I get the, the name wrong, because even though I've heard this several times now, I, I, I'm not always great about the song titles, but I think it's Escape This Circus or Black Gold, one of those two, where he talks about being, like, a a country mouse in the big city or something like that, or a city mouse. And it's just kind of that there's a lot of like voc like lyrics and stuff like that on this record. And then the vocal performance where it just feels very, like I said earlier, sort of alluding to this part where it's like, it's very theatrical showman. Like he's definitely like, you can, you can kind of hear him like conducting the band while he's playing. And he's somehow doing that while he's like playing guitar and the guitar lines are not, you know, simple by any means. And there's a lot of sort of noodly stuff. I'd even say there's some kind of like alternate time signatures being used, if I could be so bold. But I'm not as good as noticing that as you are, or at noticing that as you are. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there was or not. Not that I noticed, but you know, there very well could be. I know, I know, he's into a lot of those kind of. Uh, emo bands that are prone to doing some seven four or five four stuff mm -hmm. yeah and you can hear that emo influence all over the place in here like he's definitely a fan of like american football or cap and jazz or maybe something a little bit uh softer like you know this town needs guns maps and atlases that kind of thing there's definitely some kind of math rock influence in there what i what i love about just his artistry i think what what appeals to me is that upbringing where he grew up like in the country in Oklahoma, which is already like weird to get into like the punk indie scene from that mm -hmm. place. On mm -hmm. top of that, he's black. So, mm -hmm. so, so he's an outsider being black in the small town, Oklahoma. He's also an outsider in the punk scene being black and from the country. And, Anytime someone has that perspective and that kind of music, it just fascinates me because because punk is, you know, the scene that's supposed to attract outcast. Well, then when people feel like outcasts in that scene, I feel like that's when like the really great art gets made because it's it's just like a fucked up feeling. Like no one's supposed to feel feel like an outcast in that scene, and then people end up feeling that way and all the different mental struggles someone probably goes through you know, trying to find a place they feel accepted. It's it's tough. It sucks. But like, he's making great art on the other end of it. Definitely. Um, it, in it, 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 all this kind of stuff always makes you wonder, like, you know, he has no hand in 
the kind of suffering or confusion that they may have caused him. It's just part of a casualty of being black in America and being black in the country and in the punk scene. But uh, one thing I kept thinking about is he manages to cover this like breadth of topics on this record again in a pretty short amount of time and I feel like he covers them very well and I was curious if you had any thoughts about the song um, Hold the Line. So I saw that he wrote that song sort of with George Floyd's daughter in mind. Yeah. Watching all that stuff go down in 2020 and afterwards with protests and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I mean, it's a pretty straightforward song. I I think it's beautiful. It kind of, there's this like weird middle part of the album where things kind of drag. And I feel like maybe if the song was somewhere else, not smack dab in the middle, it could hit harder, but on its own, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. The sentiment's really beautiful. Um, And I agree. I think there's a weird thing around like tours um, like pretty much right between like cosines and escape the circus, black gold. There's definitely kind of a hold back, but I do think that the lyrics on that str- that song are very strong and yeah. You have like sure. tours and hold the line, which are both like chiller songs, and then mm-hmm. you do the interlude afterwards, and it just loses a lot of momentum. But then the album uh-huh. closes really strong. Do you personally have a favorite song on this record? Is it cosines, or do you have a different one? Well, my favorite moment, I mean, I just love pop music. My favorite moment on the album is when the chorus hits on Wretched, and it's like that full dance pop, like, Mm -hmm. because I was so not expecting it, like, yeah, just like, what? Yeah, that part. Um, There's some really, really spectacular, like, out of left field songwriting choices on it. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, a lot of it's the same. I, I re-listened to the first album, and like even the songs that I aren't my favorite. Like every song has like a cool moment. Barty Strange is really good at at doing like at least having one moment that you're always gonna remember on a song. I feel like my favorite might be Mulholland Drive. That's a good one. That's oh no, one. no 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 Hennessy, because Hennessy sounds like Frank Ocean. Hennessy's the best song. Yeah, uh, that's. The one I always looked forward to as I was spinning the record over the last couple of days. It's the best. It's the best song. It's the vocal performance is incredible. It's got that like, you know, solo energy to it. Yeah, um, I mean, it could be on Blonde. Like, you know, it's got that lo-fi mm-hmm, acoustic mm-hmm. guitar sound. Like noises going on in the background. The, you know, other voices here going on in the background. It just, yeah, it's got like solo by Frank Ocean energy. So of course that was gonna be my favorite one. I think that because of the fact that it has all of these like influences that he's wearing on his sleeve on these on this on these various performances that's sort of why the I'm not sure if the album's going to chart the way it did for me with Live Forever as far as like Live Forever was really fresh it kind of brought back this sound that we liked from the early 2000s with like Block Party but completely di- different and like better in a lot of ways and um this one's kind of like look what i can do look at all this you know he's got a lot more resources that are probably open to him now with you know being on as big of a label as he's been signed to and i think that this record is like again it's like a talent show showcase 
where it's like, or I guess talent showcase would be a less redundant way to say that, where he is sh- like doing all these different versions of what Bardies can do. And I think that's kind of where the album shines a lot as I'm repeating my lessons on each track and I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. And then you hear, like you said, Mahalan Drive and then even like Heavy Heart is a great opener. Like he has a knack for creating really good opening tracks and this one is no exception. Like I think that was one of the singles too. It's a great single. And it just evokes this energy of like the 90s mixed with like the mid 2000s, but with like the indie energy of the late 2000s and the early 2010s, like, I don't know. Like, I I didn't read any of the interviews. I did pretty minimal research for this, just how I chose to go into it. Do you know what his, like, main influences are or, like, were for this record? I don't don't know. His whole sort of modus operandi is that he doesn't want to ever feel boxed in. There's multiple songs on the first album where he, like, says as much pretty plainly. Yeah. And... I saw an interview where he said that like all these labels wanted him to make a follow-up where he just made those those two songs on the first album, Boomer and Mustang, which I feel like were like the two biggest hits. Yeah. They were just like, can you make a whole album of that? And I feel like those were the two like heaviest, like block party kind of songs. So I think very intentionally he didn't do a single song like that on this album. The closest is the end of Escape the Circus kind of gets heavy for like 20 seconds that's the only time he really like lets loose into like kind of like a punkish energy and i think it's because he wanted to throw people off he was like these were the two songs everyone loved on the first album i'm I'm not gonna make anything that sounds like that yeah uh, go ahead sorry as far as influences i don't i don't know i just he seems to say over and over again that he wants to be able to like show off every influence he has and like show mm-hmm. off his whole self. I, I hear a lot of like two thousands indie rock like Death Cab influence on on here. I forgot what I was gonna ask you. Oh, you referenced the ending of what was the song? Uh, Escape the Circus. Yeah, is that the part where it goes? That's heavy heart. Oh, that's heavy heart. Well. uh I know that I I know I can hear the ending for uh, Heavy Heart, but I I I feel like there's some borderline like amazing like live experiences that could be seen with the songs being performed. For sure, yeah. I, I hope to see him live sooner than later. Do you know if he's doing a tour anywhere near you? He is. He's doing a headlining tour. Oh, near me, no. But he's doing a headlining tour, and I think he's opening for someone right now. I'm not sure who. I'll have to look that up. I think he would be a really fun act to see live. There's a lot of people I'm gearing up to see that aren't coming to San Diego this year, but did you I'm see hoping that th- they'll be here. This is uh, off topic, but did you see the Turnstile mm-hmm. tour? JPEG Mafia is touring with Turnstile? Yeah, Snail Mail's on there for altern- alternating dates. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I saw on the Reddit, uh, the, the subreddit, Hardcore, R Hardcore, um, Somebody put a meme there that if you see this turnstile poster go up in your neighborhood, the rent's going up. <laughs> Probably pretty um, accurate. But uh, yeah, no, that'll be a that'll be a fun tour. That's a good matchup of bands, and um, I feel like Peggy's probably gonna drop that Danny Brown project soon. 
So how do you think, I guess you kind of already answered this, but I'm wondering how you felt this album measured up to the first one, at least initially. Mm -hmm. I think the thing about this guy's music is it's always going to reward multiple listens because it's so dense. But I felt like the first one, I wrote down, there's a stretch of three songs like in the middle where... Yeah, Flage God has this like techno house music thing going on. Right after that's the song Moss Blurred, which is like a straight up hip hop song. And then mm-hmm. there's the song Far after that, which sounds like Manchester Orchestra. There's like yeah. this Yeah. This uh this joy of like I don't know, all these different places you go on the first album. And, and the second album still has like this genre hopping, but I don't I didn't feel the same like sense of wonder i don't know if maybe it's because i already know his deal i don't know what do you think yeah i think it's getting reviewed really well i think that has a lot to do with the amount of people he has backing him from his label you know um the amount of interview interviews he's doing like definitely isn't hurting like get his name out there but I don't think that this, of the two, that this is the record that I would recommend to somebody. I think maybe I'd send a couple songs from this record, but I do think that he shines a lot more on Live Forever. I don't know if it's just that, like, where I was with my musical interests in 2020, I was more open to this. But I also will say I liked this a lot more as I listened to it and as I listened to it more intently there is an interesting shift that music's taken in, I want to say, the last 10 or 15 years where, uh, for me especially, I kind of know when I like something and I kind of know when I don't. There's a chance if we hadn't done an episode about this for the podcast, I would have never listened to this record or it would have taken me a long time to get to it because as soon as I put it on, I was immediately kind of perplexed by like this quality of like sameness that it had to the first one. I don't think that's to its detriment because as I gave it more time, and I think this is sort of turning more into like what I talk about a lot with like the amount of content we have, and it's almost overwhelming to pick what you want to spend your time on in your life. And I think it's interesting to make a challenging, thoughtful record in 2022 when you have artists like Playboy Cardi who are getting like best new music from Pitchfork and isn't really saying anything in his songs. And then you've got Bardies who's writing these like ballads and operatic like punk songs who I feel like is going to get lost in the shuffle and his music is much more meaningful. So I think Live Forever is probably going to end up being of these two. I think he's got, I think his next record is going to be better than both of these or both of the first, the first two. Because I feel like this one, like I said earlier, it was kind of like he had his trainers on and like the trainers were all that he had for Live Forever. So they have that that sheen, that sort of like fresh faced, like, you know, intrigue, like I'm really on to something. And then Farm to Table feels a lot like I got this new pair of, you know, Yeezys. I'm going to put these on. I'm wearing I'm wearing these new shoes. I've got this new label. You know, I still got it. I can still do this, but it does kind of lose some of that, like, DIY spirit, maybe. I don't know if DIY spirit's the right thing to say, but does that make sense? 
Yeah, I agree. I was going to say a similar thing. I, I think the first one, listening to the two albums back to back, I think the first one has better moments. But I do think this one has better, like, I think the songs are better on this one. I think it's a better written album. But I just, I think I just don't like the production and the mixing and the recording as much as I did on the first album. There's a that's that's exactly what it is. Is it sounds like it sounds it like sounds a, like him, but not. It sounds like a. It sounds on the mixing and production side like a normal indie album, even though the songs don't at all. I'm not. The songs are adventurous, and great. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it has the same production. Style, the uniqueness that the first one had. Yeah, I mean, which is to be expected. Like, when you get signed to a major label, like, you are going to sound more professional. You're going to sound more produced. And I do think it's a testament to his songwriting that this still feels like a Barty's record. It just feels like a Barty's record with a lot bigger budget. Um, I don't like talking too much about artists who get a bigger budget, though, because there's people like Frank Ocean who put out shit, and we love it. And, you know, I think this is a record that we both... I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think I you would agree. Like I think we both really like this, and I don't know if it's like a top Juby contender, but I could see it making like the bottom, you know, eight, nine, or ten spot, depending on what happens the rest of the year. You know, we'll be doing our halfway to Juby's show pretty soon, and we're gonna start taking stock of like what we've listened to. A lot of what we like this year has come out. Um, we've done episodes about it, so. You know, we'll be sure to like mention all those episodes. So when you listen to that to the halfway to the Jubies, you'll know what we're referring to. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a strong contender for like a lower part. But I think in 2020, it definitely ranked for us like more so in the like four to five spot, maybe four, five, six. I don't remember, but I mean, I did really love that album, and I, I, I like. I mean, I might even say I love this one too. I'm just saying the things that. It could be even better if it were for, you know, someone could just remix this album and, and do a different job on the mixing and I could love it that mm-hmm. much more. I just, mm-hmm. but if this is what it takes for him to be palatable to a bigger audience, you know, just a little bit shinier production, then that's that's great. Like, I, I want all the success in the world for this dude. Yeah. And the songs I... aren't, you know, it's not like he sold, like, the songwriting is the same if I would say better. It's not like he. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Green Album. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he's uh, dumbing down what he does by any means. I mean, there's some like yeah. challenging songs on here. Um, I guess I would I would definitely give this like a really strong rating. Um, it's definitely worth listening to, and to our listeners who are not familiar with him, definitely check out this and the record before it. Um, the record before it has some really interesting stuff on it. And I think this one does too. And it rewards free, like multiple listens. So if you need something to listen to, put this on in the car, open the windows, or close the windows and put the AC on because it's hot, and let it wash over you. Like give it the time it deserves because I really felt like by the, by the like, I think I've listened to it like seven times total. By that seventh listen, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to talk about this. Like, I think this is a really strong piece of work. And I I really think you hit the nail on the head in that it feels very vulnerable, you know? Like, he feels, like, comfortable with who he is, and he's 
enjoying himself. And maybe that's why it's not as appealing because Live Forever felt hungry. This one kind of feels like, you know, I've eaten, I've eaten well. Here's what I've had. Here's what I have for you. I'm going to be hungry again, but this is kind of like the record you put on after you have like a nice meal and then you go in the studio and you're like, all right, I'm feeling good. That's, that's what he said in interviews that that's where the title comes from that. Okay. He, you know, he said he grew up on a farm. That's where the farm comes from. And now he has a seat at the table, like the indie rock table. Yeah. So the first album was him getting there. This album's like, I'm at the table now. Now, what do I want to say? How do I want to use that seat? To, yeah, how do I want to use propel that seat? my um, message, but also the message of these other artists? I think, man, I hope this isn't like problematic or it sounds like I'm, I'm reducing this guy because I really don't mean it this way. But my favorite thing is when he raps. Like, it's so unique to hear he's good at rapping and to hear like that over indie rock. It's just like. Something I've heard before, but I've not heard done well very often. And I, I hope he wouldn't hate hearing that, like, oh, I like it when you rap better than anything else. I don't think so. I think he would, I think he would probably appreciate it. Cause but it's just it's so, some... he's, it, it's just like, I can't think of anyone who, who is doing something like that good, like, well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you would never think, in, even in 2022, you wouldn't hear like a guitar line like this underneath him like laying down like a verse or rapping like he is doing something really interesting there's nothing wrong with appreciating it yeah think of like that whole wave of uh what do they call it? like the goth boy click where it's like kind of mixing like goth indie rock with hip-hop little but, tracy little peep that scene but none of those people can rap like like this mm -hmm. did courtney listen to this record um, I, I had pretty much the same exact experience as you. We went, when we went to Indianapolis last weekend, I put it on in the car, but mm -hmm. I just don't think this is an album that. It's not casual. You got to put it on yeah, and exactly. to it by yourself. Cause I had the same experience where I was like, I don't know, like this isn't really grabbing me. And then as soon as I listened to it at home, like paying attention to it, I was like, oh, okay, this is really good. Yeah. And there's a thing about listening to music in a car with another person, like, I like to listen to music a little bit louder so I can hear everything, but then there's like there's road noises and car noises that kind of and you know the AC's going so you can't everything gets kind of like mushed down well, into this super compressed noise. I don't have AC in my car, so we have the windows down. So it's like it's oh, kind of dumb to try to That's listen right. to anything new in the car because like yeah. you're only hearing half of it, so you're better off just listening to something you already know. The only song you should ever be listening to in a non-air-conditioned car with the windows down is Money Trees, and it should be coming through, like, one speaker of the car. All right, well, then that's the only song I'll listen to in the car now. Yeah. The rest of I, the summer. I remember I had this shitty little Honda Civic that I got pretty... Uh, you can't say gypped anymore, because... You well, you just said it. Derogatory. <laughs> I guess I feel like I got kind of misled and on buying this car, but I think I only paid like $1,200 for it. So I'd say I got my money's worth for how cheap it was. Um, and that was my experience near the tail end of owning that car. Um, I don't even remember. Oh, you know what? 
man, I sold it to this dad and his son for the exact amount that I bought it for, and it was a beat-up car. So it's got to get rid of it, but, uh, you know, hopefully it did them well. Um, and I used to have, like, a one, one speaker side of the car would work, and then it had a CD player. Very rarely did the CD player work. I remember the only CD I had in there for basically the whole time I owned it was Life of Pablo. Which one? Not the version that he added all the new stuff. It was the original version. So with his, uh, with Barty's love of, of genre hopping and mashing things together, uh, Jake snorting a little cocaine here, what, is there like a, a type of music you'd like to hear him uh, try to do or something you'd like to hear him do more of? Yeah, uh, I'd like to hear him do an entire, like, um, like Magnolia by FKA Twigs. I'd like to hear him do something like that. So, like, boring? So, like, I'd like to hear him just do, like, an ambient album of him singing over, like, soundscapes and, like, synthesizers. That would be incredible. That's the most, the most Jake answer to have. Uh, maybe lean a little bit into, like, later Radiohead stuff. I'd like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to hear him do that. something really boring. And then maybe just lean more into the the pop punk air, like the pop punk stuff he likes to do, and maybe just do a little more like Coheed, you know, go conceptual, <laughs> oh. do like a space opera. I'm gonna um, hit him up and ask him if he's ever considered doing more stuff like Coheed. He probably likes Coheed. I bet. Ask him. I bet he does. Barty's, if you hear this and you like Coheed, hit us up. If you don't like Coheed, offended that we brought them up in the same breath as you, hit us up, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I, I what would you like to hear him do more of? I was going to ask you. Sorry. On the, on the first album, the Flage God song with the like house techno thing going on, and then Wretched mm-hmm. with the, like the dance pop. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more full on electronica kind of stuff. Okay, so boring. Yeah, just full on like dance pop. So you, Daft Punk. Sure. I'm not really I'm not really well versed in Daft Punk, but probably yeah. It probably it would be cool. Maybe some like hot chip kind of stuff or LCD sound system. That'd be awesome. That'd sort of be a meet, a meeting of both our suggestions there, like the kind of ambient like synthy stuff mixed with your. I have um Ian's indie rock hot take corner. Ian's indie rock indie rock hot take corner where we serve croissants and milk. I like LCD Sound System fine, but I think they are one of the most overrated bands of our generation. This is the last episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast after that statement. It's just my take on LCD Sound System. Sorry, James Murphy. It's not even his name. What's his name? James Murphy. That's what I said. Yeah, but you said it with spite. Sorry, James Murphy. There you go. Trying to think of a band that you love that's just okay. Probably all of them. I'm thinking. Ooh, I have a hot one. I have a hot take. I haven't listened to very what? much of it, but I feel like I don't get the love for Adrian Linker. Slash Big Thief. Yeah. Even though I did enjoy the new Big Thief album, but I couldn't. I couldn't name. Shark Smile is the only Big Thief song I can name. I think uh, that's going to be a very strong Juby contender for me. Um, if Juby was a currency, what would be its ratio to the U.S. dollar? One Juby. So, you know, I, th- I think both of us really love Japan. Um, 
So I would like to take the yen model. So one juby is worth one cent. So a hundred jubies is a dollar. Hundred jubies is a dollar. Okay. Similar to similar to yen. So a jubilant yeah. would be a one dollar bill. A jubilant is a hundred jubies, and yes, is one dollar. Okay. And then if you have five jubilants, that's a jubilancy. Five dollars. Five dollars. Yeah. Given the current um, pricing crisis, uh, five jubilancies really isn't going to cut it for a grocery trip. Maybe we'll throw, maybe we'll jump into the currency game. We'll make our own, uh, not cryptocurrency, but our own uh, paper currency, paper money. You know what would be funny is if we, when we do the jubies at the end of the year, if we actually do like a number one jubie winner and we send out our jubies to the to their like press people. So they Jake, are you they know fucking they reading my mind? I've thought the same thing. I thought it'd be really funny if we like printed out like certificates mm-hmm. and we mailed them to all the winners. It'd be so easy. <laughs> and then we'll we'll make a stamp that's like Jubilee <laughs> certified and it's just Corey's the- face like as a cartoon with a thumbs up. He could probably draw that too. And then the number one winner, we get like a twenty dollar plaque made and we like mail them the plaque. Whatever happened to Corey doing art? Sorry for people who don't give a shit about us talking about Corey. I I, I think he, he just like was into that in high school and, and right after, but I don't think he's really done much art. Video games ruined that since. boy. Well, video games are an art. Hmm. Some of them. So Barty's Strange. Next week we'll have uh, hopefully that Nick Cave 7 psalms record yeah did you listen to the new mars volta song they put out their first new song in like no i saw their touring again i didn't see they put a new song out uh did you listen to it yeah i thought it was cool i i i'm not a huge mars volta fan but yeah like, if there were if there were any of their songs that you would like it would be their newest material like uh nocturna kit it sounded like other mars volta songs i've i have heard before i'm just like this is really cool i don't know if i'll listen to it again but uh-huh they're a great band. Uh, this one's got like a very like uh, flamenco Spanish kind of vibe. I feel like they kind of biffed it with the at the drive-in reunion. So um, maybe yeah. I, I know I listened to shit. that reunion album and I don't remember a single thing about it. Blacklight Sun, Blacklight Shine is the one you're talking about. Um, same as the Refuse to Reunion album. Yeah, if there were a Mars Volta album that I think you would like, it would probably be Nocturna Kit, which was their last album they put out before they broke up. I'm more of a fan of uh, Cedric's uh, 500 solo albums. <laughs> You're probably thinking of uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez 500 solo Or sorry, solo yeah, albums. Omar. His, uh, yeah, puts out a, an album every week. So before we close it out, um, I was going to ask you, what do you think Dunkey's review of Barty Strange's new album would be like? Uh, Jake is referring to Video Game Donkey, the YouTuber. Um, There's this guy named Bodies Strange. I listened to his album, Food to Table, and I was instantly blown away. Oh, pow, zoo, whoa. Something like that. All I can think about is, like, uh, how can we hook up with him to have him do music reviews with us? That would be (laughs) amazing. He probably doesn't have time to listen to music. He's just playing video games all the time. I'd be like, just just listen to it while you're playing video games and give us five minutes of your time, and we'll. we'll I'm run too with busy it. playing Tekken. It is the best game <laughs> ever made. Hey everybody, this has been another episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast. Today we were talking about Barty Strange's new album. 
Farm to table. And we both enjoyed it a lot. You can listen to it wherever you listen to new music. Uh, more importantly, you can listen to more episodes of our podcast by searching Jubilee Street, a music podcast in Apple Music or Spotify, where you can like, rate, and subscribe us. We'd love it if you leave a five-star review. Definitely follow us on Spotify. We're really trying to get more um, listener engagement on Spotify. So subscribe there, like us, follow the show. It means a lot to us. Um, We're really trying to move up those uh, leaderboards, as the 2005 Halo 2 players used to say. So help us out. Do us a solid. Um, If you like this episode and you want to write to us about it, we've got a... a Man, I was so good right up until that point. We have a Gmail account uh, for our mailbag, uh, jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram, same thing, at jubileestreetpod, where we post semi-regularly about um, new episodes we're putting out, updates, that kind of thing. So check us out, follow us, like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your grandpa, tell your grandma, tell your great-grandma, tell your great-grandpa, tell your great-great-grandpa, tell your great-great-grandma, and we'll see you later. We were only close for like two weeks. Coming in such a-